We should be okay. Well, good morning, all. It is a blessed morning again. It's a new mercies. His mercies are new every morning. Amen. And that uh, every day is a new day. Every single day. And God is good. He's still in control. Um, as we plunge further here into, uh, uh, in our time, in a lot of the, uh, the furtherance into the depravities of man, as we see all kinds of crazy, just, just when you think you've heard it all, you hear something even more. It's, it's uh, the world's going from bad to worse, just sliding down this, this hill. It's almost like they, uh, you know, like the scene from uh, Christmas Vacation where they, they grease the sled. <laughs> Somebody knows the reference. <laughs> and uh, you're going down extra fast because there's a lot of crazy craziness that's going on. And it's, it's, uh, it's directed. I mean, it's, there's a spirit behind it, and it's not the spirit of God. Although he's aware of it, and he knows what's going on. He's allowing it for whatever reason, and... Um, People are falling into this further deception, this further perversion, this further depravity. It's a deviation from what God has already decreed and what God has, you know, stated in His, His Word. He's right from the beginning. This is the way the things are. He's the one that has the right to declare these things, and yet we're continually going further and further and further with all the craziness. So it's an interesting time that we're in. The world continues to hate the truth, and so when they hear the truth, they think that it sounds like hate because they hate the truth. They don't want the truth, and uh, they deride the truth, they despise the truth, and they impose on everyone their perversities coming forth from their departing from the biblical truth that is given. That's what's going on in the world today. The further further we go, the, the more it seems like more and more governments are joining in on this stuff. And this, the sad thing is it's right in front of our eyes and people just... You're a conspiracy theorist. You don't know what you're talking about. The news said, like, that's the problem. <laughs> you're listening to the news. It's not news. It's, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just horrible. But... We serve a God who's in control of these things in spite of those things and in spite of the things that are going on. And, and if you remember here in Isaiah 42, God is speaking forth to His people. He's speaking through Isaiah. He's bringing forth the truth, this revelation of His chosen servant, where, which we begun last week in um, the first uh, four verses of the chapter here where he says, Behold my servant. And, and we saw how that unfolded and, and was realized in Christ, how it was uh, John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's awesome. It's amazing. And so he's revealing his uh, further more details about this chosen servant. And this is why, um, as we read here, it's, it's very clear and evident, to me at least, that there's no way that uh, although the, the term the servant or my servant sometimes is applied and applicable to the nation of Israel, and really you can say that about the church as well. We are his servants and we're called to do certain things and that's the way that it is. But here specifically is speaking of one servant in particular. And it's very clear and evident with these next few verses and with the chapters that are to come that are just... Like, unless you're totally spiritually dead, unless you're totally blind, unless you can't hear or are deaf, unless you can't comprehend, it's very clear who's, who's speaking, who he's speaking about, and what's going on. And it's clearly the servant, the Christ Jesus. So, um, with that being said, there's uh, certain things that are revealed to us from uh, this servant from the Lord who speaks. There's certain characteristics that are demonstrated, that are, that are uh, uh, brought forth, and that the people who were in that captivity could look forward to. They could look forward to and, and find strength. They could look forward to and find hope. The world right now is dealing with a lot of hopelessness. There's a lot of hopelessness and there's a lot of despair in the world. 
with all the things that are happening. Um, I, I don't know whether some of you have watched any of the videos from, that are coming out. You know, the, the technology that we have, you're able to see things that are happening in real time. And some of the despair that's coming from those um, collapsed buildings and the, the, the devastation that took place there. It's just, it's, it's awful on the one hand, and yet we have to say, we know, God, you're in control. This is no surprise. 22,000 people that almost instantly just passed away. Um, and they're, they're, you know, praise God that they're finding people in between the, you know, these levels of building that collapsed. And, uh, but it's just, it's just wild. I've never seen anything like that where you just watch people out in the streets that are just, they can't even stand straight without doing this kind of a thing. And they're filming as a building just comes crashing down. It's like, wow. And it's not just one. It's like one and then another. Turn around and there's another. It reminds me of Job when all that stuff happened to him. They would turn around and more and more calamity was coming. And so this is a time where um, God is speaking through Isaiah to his people. And he's being very clear about who he's talking about. So we're, gonna, we're only going to cover five through nine. And uh, so it's pretty short, but there's a lot here. And so with that being said, let's, um, let's read these four verses, and then we'll, uh, uh, we'll go on from there. So starting in verse 5, in the last place we left off, God had been proclaiming that the coastlands would wait for this specific servant um, expectantly for his law. It's almost sounding like he was saying that there's another law, not just the law of Moses, but another law that he would bring. Incidentally, he did. <laughs> Praise God. It's a little bit different. It's much of the same aspects, but he still brought it in. So he says in verse 5, thus says God the Lord. So it's very clear who's speaking here directly. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out. There's a refutation for evolution. <laughs> God saying, uh, I'm the one who created the heavens and stretched them out. Not only that, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. Now we've heard him say this before and he's saying it again. I will hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people. As a light to the nations. To open blind eyes. To bring out prisoners from the dungeon. And those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your word, um, as was spoken in our praise and prayer time. Your word, which clarifies so many different things, and the fact that we can acknowledge that you are the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth. You are the one who brought forth life. You made everything, and without you there can be nothing made. And we thank you that everything that has been made, has been made uh, was made by you. And of that we can be certain. We thank you for the evidence that we see of your creation all around us, um, even amongst uh, the people who you have made. Lord, we thank you that life is a good thing, and that you've given life and you granted life, and that we can know life everlasting. But Father, we pray for those who have not yet come to know true life, who live in despair, who live in hopelessness and in darkness, who do not know the wonders of the light of Christ, the light of the world. Lord, we thank you 
that here you're speaking hundreds of years before it took place of one that you would send to open blind eyes and to do all the things that you have proclaimed him that he would do. We thank you, Lord, that the fulfillment was met in Christ Jesus our Lord, for it's in his name that he would be glorified. We pray. Amen. So in verse 5, thus says the God the Lord. He opens up and declares that that's who's speaking. He wants there to be no uncertainty. There's, there's no way that you can think of anyone else that is saying this as he speaks through the prophet Isaiah, or as I like to say through our brother eyes. Um, he's speaking and he says, The Lord thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out. We talked about them in, in uh, pretty much unfolded a lot of that aspect around Christmas time, how God does do that. He's the one who did stretch out the heavens and who spread out the earth and its offspring. And if we read Genesis, he's the God of Genesis, right? The God who's spoken of in Genesis, uh, the God who is above all creation, meaning he transcends creation. He, he's the only one by whom creation can come into being. And the only thing that, the only way that creation can come into being. Um, he created the heavens and stretched them out. He spread out the earth and its offspring. And who gives breath to the people on it. Now when I read that, I think of, I can't help but think of Genesis. When he made this lump of dirt and formed it. And then he breathed into its nostrils. And he became a living soul. Same kind of idea. He is the one who gives breath to the people on it. And that's why I've said for a long time now that if God chose to not give his breath, everyone would die immediately. It would be a sudden death. If he ceased to be, nothing would exist. It would be instantaneous in its elimination. Just just be gone. And so he's the one who gives breath to people on it. He's saying here that you don't have life or breath or anything unless I give it. And he wants to declare that and make sure that the people that are reading this, not for the sake of intimidation or the sake of, of uh, fear, although we should have a healthy fear, because if he decided to take away our breath, we have stories like that in the Bible, in the New Testament, where one guy, farmer, kind of guy, rancher dude, had a super awesome bumper crop. He's like, man, I don't have enough storehouses for all this stuff. I'm going to build me some big, bigger barns, and I'm going to take some time off and just chill. And God's response to all that in his arrogance and his sin of presumption was, fool, this night, your life is demanded of you. He didn't get to make his big things. It's that kind of an idea. Or you can go even further into the New Testament. That was Jesus explaining this. And, and in the New Testament, we see Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And God took their lives, spoof, in front of the whole church. Imagine that happening in some place like this. All of a sudden, somebody expiring, not just once, but twice. It's kind of spooky. So we should have an awesome fear of who God is. But he says, he's the one who gives breath to the people that are on the surface of the earth. So number one, we are his creation. Number two, he's the one that gives it life. He animates it. And also, he, is, he says, and the spirit to those who walk in it. So God is above all creation as the creator of everything. He's the creator and the sustainer of life. He will enable the servants to transform, or this particular servant, to transform the earth with new spiritual life. And that's what he does. See, people are walking around right now in blindness. That's the reason why there's hopelessness and despair. Even though some of them have heard that there is a Savior, 
They still walk around in blindness. They still walk walk around in despair. They still walk around and they're animated, uh, but they don't conform to truth. They hate the truth. Earlier this week, I was listening to a, a tirade of an of a, a atheist woman who was condemning God for all these reasons that she had to condemn God and why she won't believe in this particular God. All the while, I'm just... So I had to chime in and just say, so let me get this straight. You, a fallen sinner, a rebel against this God, who knows that there's a God, you arrogantly and you full of pride, you're going to dictate the morality that God should follow? That's what the only God that you'll serve? Is a God who will only meet your moral standard? Sweetie, that's not how it works. See, if God is the creator, he set the standard. He is the standard. And you've fallen short of the glory of God. Repent, therefore, before it's too late. Trust in Jesus. Um, People walk around and they don't want to see the truth. They don't want to hear it. They want to find excuses for not believing. They don't want to hear the truth. And God is the creator. Um, if you will, turn with me, if you will, back to the left a little bit, to, uh, to the book of Psalms. And in Psalms, there's an awesome psalm, and I'm not going to read it all, but I will read a good portion of it. In, um, in Psalm 104, I do recommend that you read that, by the way. I'm only going to read uh, 27 through 35, but it's an amazing psalm. And it talks about this very thing. But in verses 27 through 25, um, the psalmist is writing about all the things that God has done and all, the, um, all that he understands and the wonder of creation. And here he begins in, uh, as he winds down towards the end of this psalm. In verse 27, he says this, All those things that he's talking about, Leviathan and the animals and all of creation, he says, they all wait for thee to give them their food. He's talking about the animals. He says, all of them, they wait for thee to give them their food in the due season. They're dependent upon God, in other words. Thou dost give them, give to them, they gather it up. Thou dost give to them, they gather it up. Thou dost open thy hand. They are satisfied with good. Thou dost hide thy face. They are dismayed. Thou dost take away their spirit. They expire and return to their dust. Thou dost send forth thy spirit. They are created. There's a new birth. Interesting. And thou dost renew the face of the ground. Kind of like what we were talking about here. He's the one that's going to enable people with a new life, with a new spirit. And that's what he does. Then he says, let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountain and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. By the way, how long will that be? Forever. Yeah. Um, Interesting stuff here. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to Him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord, Yahweh. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. By the way, every time you say hallelujah, you're speaking Hebrew. So congratulations, you speak Hebrew. But this is the idea. He's the one that's created. The animals are dependent upon him. You know, even uh, I saw a flock of birds the other day, and I was reminded of what Jesus said. 
He says that my Father in heaven knows when one sparrow falls. And you see a flock of sparrows and there's hundreds of them, sometimes thousands. And he knows if one of them falls. And then Jesus goes on to say, how much more does he care about you and think about you? Because you are bearing his image. And it's something to think about. This is an amazing God who we're talking about here. And he says, I'm going to send forth my, my servant, and this is what he's going to do. In verse 6, going back to Isaiah, he says, I am Yahweh. Now notice there's two persons here. He's speaking directly. It's almost like a conversation taking place between two people. Hmm. Imagine that. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. Two different people. Persons, if you will. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. This is one of the reasons why it's easy to identify this servant, that it can't be the nation of Israel. Because the nation of Israel was never a covenant to the people. There was a covenant between them and God, but they weren't a covenant to the people, although they were supposed to be a light to the people. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. But they failed. They failed miserably. So this person who he will hold by the hand, he's called in righteousness, he's watching over him, I will appoint you as a covenant to the people. Now is that just the people of Israel? I dare say not. It's many more people. And he says, as a light to the nations, that kind of indicates what he's talking about. It's sometimes the Bible's really easy if we just read it for what it says. A light to the nations, a covenant to the people, then you can just kind of, oh, okay, Occam's razor, right? It's the most commonsensical thing that seems to come forth for that. And these are uh, expressions, by the way, if you remember when we, in uh, uh, verse 1 of, of 42, very parallel to what he's saying there. You can almost interpose them. It's almost like a poem that's being unfolded here. He's a covenant for the people. Uh, Jesus Christ, as God's servant, brought the new covenant to his people. That's what we celebrated last week in the, in the communion, the new covenant. And praise God for that, that the old one had been met and he instituted the new one. The covenant is also called the covenant of peace or the everlasting covenant, or the new covenant. He is also the light of the nations. The recipients of God's light are a new community of light bearers in a dark world. Now this is important because in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus actually does say something that's peculiar. As he's talking to his people, those who would follow him. Because in the book of John, he declares himself to be the light of the world. There's no doubt about that, which would be a light to the nations. But he says in Matthew, as he's speaking to his disciples, he says, you are the light of the world. In other words, his light is going to shine through you. You're not diminished in the light in any way because he shines through you. That's where we get the idea that we should speak we should be the ones speaking truth to power because we are the light of the world. We love truth. How many of us love truth? How many of us love deception? I hate it. Hate deception. Hate liars. Hate lying. It's because of the spirit and the light that is living within us. We love the truth. We can't help it. And those who love the truth will always come to the truth because the truth resides in them. There are those who will not accept the truth because they hate it. Um, and of course, in Luke 2, going back to Christmas time, Luke 2, we see this being the light of the nations. We see this prophecy being spoken in one particular person, Simeon. Simeon is a uh, uh, prophet there, or he's there in the, uh, um, the temple, and he's continually there. And in, uh, starting in verse 25, 
we read this account. And behold, in Luke 2, 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's important. The Holy Spirit was upon him. He was revealing things to him and through him. And it was revealed to him by this Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, Yahweh's Messiah. So that's kind of good news. It's like, man, I ain't going to die until I see him. Sweet. Kind of invulnerable up to that point, right? And then he says in verse 27, And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, Yahweh, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. Man, it's right there. He's proclaiming it. This is the one. This is who Isaiah was talking about. And as it says in John, and John actually has this recorded for us, that Isaiah saw his glory. He saw that light. And we'll read about that in a minute. So verse 7, well, let's actually go to John chapter 8, since we're over here in the New Testament anyways. Let's go to John chapter 8, and let's read about this, where Jesus does say, he, He takes that title of being the light of the world. But in this case, I want to read in John chapter 8, verses 12 through 24. And it reads like this, starting in verse 12. And again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees, therefore, said to him, You're bearing witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You people judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone in it, but I and he who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who bears witness of myself and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Two persons. Two people. Two persons. The better term. And so they were saying to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury, and he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. He said, therefore, again to them, I go away, and you shall seek me, and die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Therefore the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Kapow! Man, Jesus, that sounds kind of mean. He's speaking truth. Guess what their response was? Let's kill this guy. They don't like the truth. He's speaking truly. He's speaking truthfully. They cannot see. And so Jesus, the servant, in verse 7 back in uh, Isaiah, he sent to do what? To open the blind eyes. He says he's coming and he's going to send them to open blind eyes 
to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in the darkness from the prison. Here, if you want to remember the time frame of Isaiah's time, the, the Babylonian exile is described as kind of a dark prison. Israel's salvation from exile prefigures a spiritual deliverance through Christ from the blindness, bondage, and darkness of sin. Because remember, they were, they were worshiping idols and the like. Verse 8 says, I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. God says he won't give his glory to anyone else. He says, nor my praise to graven images. Um, I want to read from Ezekiel 1. We're kind of all over today, but from Ezekiel 1. Because here, what he's talking about, if you want to kind of get a glimpse of this and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but this crazy, awesome, inexplicable glory that he's talking about. Uh, Ezekiel got a glimpse of it in Ezekiel 1, verses 22 through 29. We'll just read a small portion. Um, it says this, Now over the heads of the living being, he's, he's seen this, this vision... And this is descriptive of what he's talking about. Now, over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal extended over their heads. So he's seen something. He can't fully describe it, so he describes it as best he can. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight. It's a pretty amazing thing. I mean, this big giant wings, this light or whatever, this glory above them. And it says, in one of the wings, one toward the other. Each one also had two wings covering their bodies on the one side and the other. And I also heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of abundant waters as they went, like the voice of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse that was over their heads. Whenever they stood still, they dropped their wings. Now, above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne, high up a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward I saw something like fire. And there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard a voice speaking. That's the glory that he's talking about. God says, I won't share that with anybody. That's mine. It's mine alone. And yet we read in Daniel, we read in Isaiah, we read in Revelation, this very same servant who would come and sit beside the throne of God. And Jesus himself in John chapter 17, just so that people understand this very servant, Jesus in John chapter 17 says something pretty amazing in what's really the Lord's Prayer. He says in John chapter 17 as he's praying... Um, in uh, verse 1, he says, These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son of Man may glorify thee. Even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. 
Notice who gives. Notice who is the one who's the giver of salvation, who has the authority to do this. Verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I glorify thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now, glorify thou me together with thyself. Wait, I thought God wouldn't share his glory with anyone else. He says, glorify thou me together with thyself, Father. With what? The glory which I had with thee before the world was. Kapow! Jesus never says that he was God. I mean, you just use common sense and you just use rational, logical thinking. I know that requires truth. But you put all those things together and it's like, duh. How could he have the glory of God before the world was? Unless he's God. God the Son. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. The Bible's pretty clear on so many things if people would just read it. You know, the, the people protest against the things of God when they hear them because they hate the truth. And I'm not denouncing anybody. I'm not uh, pointing fingers and judging because, hey, I used to be there. And all of you used to be there. We all used to be there. It's like, well, that's not true for me. That's your truth. And the God, the God of truth slaps us aside the head and says, no, no, there's only one truth. And I'm the one who's bringing it forth. This is truth. And that's what we came to know and understand. And praise God for that. Because you know that truth that, that, that He uh, gives, that truth that He displays, that truth that comes forth and pours forth from His throne, from His heart, to us, guess what it does? It helps us override the deception of the world. It helps us, like Superman, to be able to see with x-ray eyes, like, you must think me a fool to make your deception so simple. We, get to, we see it. Like, man, this, this chump's lying. He's lying to me. How do you know? Because Jesus said, or it is written, and this is the opposite. God said, male and female, he created them in his image. That's it. People don't want to believe that. They'd rather believe whatever. No, 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 I can, I can, be, a, I can be a dog. Oof! And there are people that are doing that. People in the military of power, we're talking generals who wear dog masks and walk around on all fours. I am not kidding you. And they're proud of it. Accept me for who I am. You're doing just the opposite. You're not being true to yourself. You're being anything but. You're deceiving and being deceived and perverted and diverted from truth. All these things going on. God says, no, I am Yahweh and that is my name. I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images. And then he says, verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, but now I declare new things. Hallelujah. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. So one of the things that I believe that he's saying here is when this servant comes, there's new things. There's new things that were going to happen. Or they were seemingly new. And what was, what was Jesus and his bunch, the people that followed him around, what were they accused of? Something new. Hey, this is a whole new religion. You're, you're, you're trying to destroy our religion. Like, no. Just making it come to pass. Everything that was spoken from the past. But it seemed new. It was new in the eyes of the people. Because, no, wait, i got to do all this stuff. Jesus says, no, I, I did all that. Now you all don't have to. And now that I've done all that, that you can't do, 
Now it's time for me to go to the cross. I'm going away. And you're going to look for me and you're not going to find me. But I'll be with you even to the end of the age. He says, I'm not disappeared. I'm just not there physically. But I will be with you forever. You will never not be with me. That's an amazing thing. I don't understand it. I don't comprehend it. I just say, okay, Lord, you say it. I'm going to believe you. That's it. I'm a simple man. I get it. So this is the prophetic voice of God foretelling the things that would come to pass. It is with exactness that he does this. So it's not just conjecture. It's not just guessing. It's not just you know, predicting. He's saying this is what's going to happen. And in certain instances, he really gives, you know, going through the book of Daniel, that's where I'm at in part of my reading, and going through the book of Daniel, the exactness with which he speaks, it's like, man, it's no wonder people thought, there's no way this was written hundreds of years before. He's naming people. He's all naming nations and doing all this stuff. Who can do that? Just God. The one who's declaring all things from the, before the foundations of the earth, right? He's the one that can do this. So it's not just those things. It's not just hoping or wishing that it comes to pass like he's, you know, I hope it works out this way. That's not the God that we serve. Praise God. He's in total control of it all. As tragic and as devastating as the earthquakes were that happened just a few days ago, God was fully aware. He knew it was going to happen. Those people that died... It is appointed for man to be, man to live once. And after that, he dies once and then the judgment. God knew that. He also knows those who are his. And not all of them were condemned. A lot of them would refuse the truth. They were taught all their lives that, no, 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 Allah has no son. It's blasphemous to say that. So they died in their sin because Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. There's many people in churches throughout the the world today that are going and they think, well, you know, I'm going to church, so God's okay with me. I'm okay with God. There's many people who claim to be Christians and are not. Because, hey, you know, I was born into a Christian home and that makes me a Christian. My grandma and grandpa and my mom and dad, that does not make you a Christian. It doesn't, and many people are deceived, and they're deceived in in the most horrific way. When um, When Paul was converted, speaking of this blindness, many people walk around blind, and they don't know it. Many people walk around deaf, and they don't know it. They walk around dull of mind and of heart, and they don't know it. They're deceived into believing something that isn't true. Paul, when he was sharing the gospel everywhere that he went, evangelizing everywhere that he went, when he was in Mars Hill, I want to read this real quick from Acts chapter 17, verses 23 through 34. He wanted to make sure that the people understood what he was talking about, that he wasn't talking about just a new religion, but he was talking about something that they could grasp onto. And he was doing so, being led by the Spirit, he was trusting what God would do. And it says here in, in Acts chapter 17, I'm going to begin in verse 23. It says, For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, he's talking to a, to a group of philosophers, he says, I, found, uh, I also found an altar with this inscription. I read this last week, but I want to read it again. To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. It's important. We're in a time right now that the depravity of man is such, and that the truth is so despised, that we almost have to begin here with everybody that we preach to, that we talk to. God is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of all. 
The God that I'm talking about is the one who created everything. That's where we need to begin with Paul because they have lost, have been told these lies that no, 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 everything came from nothing. Yeah, it just happened. Time, chance, and matter just came together. It's like, well, where did time, chance, and matter come from? Oh, we can't explain that. You just have to believe what we say because it makes the most sense. <laughs> really? Really, it does it? I don't think so. We can take evidence and we can see things. And he says, this is the God who made it. There's only one God who made all of these things. You worship these other things in ignorance. He says, God does not dwell in temples made with hands, as if he needed it. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. What did we read in, in Isaiah 42? I'm the one who gives life. I'm the one who gives breath. He's, it almost sounds like he's thinking about Isaiah right here. He's the one that does this. He says, um, and since he himself gives to all people life and breath, and I keep losing my place here, I apologize, and all things, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. So from one man, He made all man, all men. We're all primos. We can say to each other, I'll teach you that Spanish word, orale primo. You can all say that to me. We can say that to each other. Orale, prima. Prima is the female. It means we're cousins. We're all interrelated. Because we all come from the same father, from the same set of parents. Every single person. This is what Paul believed. He didn't believe in evolution. He believed that we all come from one. That's what he's teaching here. We all come from one man. And God is the one who's responsible for that. Then he says in verse 28, For in him... We live and move and exist in God. We live, we move, and we exist. Isaiah 42, it's what God said. I'm the one who gives life. I'm the one who gives breath. I'm the one who gives spirit. Right here. That's where it says it. Paul is proclaiming the same truth. And then he says, um, For in him we live and move and exist. Or some, some uh, translations will say, and have our being. I think, therefore, I am. And even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Now, don't let people take you to this scripture to prove, see, we're all children of God. Now, what does he say? Again, Bible's clear. We just read it. He says, some of your poets say, it's the, it's the deception that my mom and dad told me. Oh, mijo, we're all children of God. Only to find out when I became a Christian. Mom and dad lied to me. They've been lying to me all these times, all these years. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. And we had that conversation with somebody and they were shocked. And it's not the first person that I've talked to and shared that truth that they were shocked. Like, what? What do you mean we're not all children of God? We're not. We can prove that. But he says, we live and move and have our being, our existence in him, even as some of your own poets said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or imagined, uh, an imagined formed by the art and thought of man. In other words, if your God is a man-made God, you don't have God. You don't know who God is, right? Do you make up God in your own mind? The lady that I was listening to, the, the young, confused lady, of course, you know, a blue-haired person, purple-haired, all those colors that they wear. Like immediately I said, I bet you you're a they-them, aren't you? 
yeah. And just railing on God because they have to serve a God of their own imagination. And that will condemn them to hell every time. We have to bow at the throne of Jesus. He's the one who's revealed the Father to us. The Father has revealed Jesus to us through the Holy Spirit. And He is Lord. And we have to acknowledge that. We have to bow at that. You are Lord. I'm not. You purchased me. I'm bought. I'm paid for. You're Lord. You tell me what to do. You have control over my life. You bought me after all and saved me from your wrath. You saved me from your judgment. You saved me from your condemnation, which I deserve. You purchased me for that purpose. And then he says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, so he's speaking to unbelieving people, He's speaking to a crowd of idolaters and he says, Now, overlooking the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Doesn't matter where they are. Well, they don't believe in the same thing. They have a different... Doesn't matter. Is God not the God of all the entire creation? Is he not the God of all people everywhere? See, that's the problem with truth, and people struggle with it, is truth is that which conforms to reality. It reflects what reality is. And it's absolute. And in its absoluteness, it is true for all people at all places at all times. And it never changes. And we get these arguments. Well, that's not their culture. I don't care. Nor does God. God says right here, through Paul, the times of ignorance are over. God is now declaring that all men and people everywhere should repent. Metanoia. Turn from your sin. Well, how can you if you're dead in your sin and your trespasses? You can't. The point is when you realize that you're an awful sinner and that you violated the holy, righteous God, that's when you repent. I don't want to live this way anymore. I know I came to a point in my time, and part of my testimony is, I came to a point in my time where I understood in my drunkenness, in my alcoholism, and in the way that I was living, like this is the best I can do. This is the best I got. And I'm tired. I was tired of that. I was sick of it. And I got to a place where I told God, I, I just, I can't do this anymore. That morning when I was saved, it's like, this is the best I can do. And it's never going to be good enough. It's never going to get better. And if you're the only answer that there is, then I surrender. I surrender. I want you. I want a new life. And I don't know how else to get it. I just went forward by faith. And he says, you repent. And that's what I did. I repented of my sin. Stayed there for hours just pouring out the poison. Pouring it out. Just letting it ooze out of me. And God was there listening and healing and changing me. He says, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man. Hmm whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. I wonder who he's speaking of. I only know of one person in history that rose from the dead after their crucifixion. And how do we know this? There's a lot of empty tombs. There's a lot of tombs that are not empty in and around Jerusalem. But there's no tomb that has the bones of Jesus. Why? Because he ain't there. And that may beg the question, well, dead people don't rise. That's right. It's a supernatural act. It doesn't change the fact that what we have is the truth. 
just because we don't have a natural answer for all these things. Listening to Jay Warner Wallace this last week, it was, it was really uh, kind of um, enlightening to see the way that his thought process works in being an atheist and looking at the evidence, being a detective who um, started to solve these cold cases and using that same evidentiary thinking and all these processes, he's like, it's, he said, as an atheist, I could, I could say, okay, look, it's foolish to say that Jesus wasn't real. We know that he was historical. We know this. It's a fact. Get over it. It's just, you just have to deal with it. And we have to deal with the fact that he was really crucified. He said, but as an atheist, I couldn't wrap, I just, and then, there's no answer. And everything had to have a natural answer. He said, but I couldn't deny the fact that there were hundreds of people who claimed that they saw him afterwards. Not a vision, not a dream, not a spirit, not a ghost. Him, physical, alive. I can't explain that. But also, desiring truth and wanting to find what is the answer to all these questions couldn't deny it. When you have enough people that testify to the same thing and there are, they are persecuted because of it, they're not in league. You don't have that many people that will hold on to the same lie. Somebody's going to crack. And these people wouldn't. He says, I couldn't deny all that stuff. Now, one of the things that I do want to warn as we talk about, I don't, I don't, uh, I think evidentiary, you know, belief is kind of dangerous. We either believe what it says because of what is written, we say, okay, it's true. We like evidence because it's really a good thing and it's logical and it's rational when we think them through, the, all the things, the facts. But if somebody comes along with some evidence and your, your faith is in that evidence, guess what happens? Andy Stanley happens. That's what happens. See, my faith was in the Bible. And when people came along to make me question the Bible, now I don't really believe what the Bible says because I can poke holes through it. And instead of having answers for that, and, and one of these days we'll have to start doing some more apologetic stuff um, in our studies to give us more weaponry, more shields, more um, things that we can use as defenses for our faith. But um, when we put our faith in anything other than Jesus, that's when we're going to come crashing down. If our faith is in a church system or in a church organization, it's going to come crashing down at some point in time. If our faith is in some other book, some extra biblical book, and we say about this book in particular, this set of books, we say, well, it was written by men, so I believe in this book. You're not thinking through, you're not thinking rationally, you're not thinking logically, because you just undid your whole argumentation. Because this is written by men, but ultimately the author is the Spirit of God. And He inspired people, as Peter says, He carried them along and revealed to them things, and they wrote it down. And we have that witness, and that's all we need. So Paul says in verse 32 of Acts, he says, 17, he says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. <sighs> but others said, We shall hear you again concerning this. You see, that's the way that God works. His spirit touches certain people whom he intends to touch. And it's one of the things that people really bristle against. They bristle against the idea that, wait, God can choose? Of course he can. You mean God chooses? Yes. I don't like that. I want it to be my choice. It's my agency. It's my free, free stuff. It's like, no, he says, 
This is the way that it works. Some heard and said, I want to hear more about this. I'm really interested. And others were like, rolling their eyes. Come on. No one raises from the dead. So Paul went out in the, of their midst in verse 33, but some men joined him and believed. You see, some people, they heard. The Spirit of God was there and working, and He opened them up. They were blind, but now they see. They were deaf, but they heard. They were dead inside, but something inside of them goes, Yeah, I want to hear more. And something in their mind said, You know, if this is true, I ought to believe this. Some of them followed him, some men didn't believe, some joined and believed, among whom also Dionysius, the Areopagite, and the woman named Damaris, and others with them. So more than one person believed, some of them did not. That's why I said earlier, there's so many people in churches today that are blind, and they don't know it. They're deaf. They don't know it. They think they're scoring points with God. And they're deceived. There's people right now that all their day is planned around one event. Did you guys know that it's, I think it's the Super Bowl this weekend, isn't it? Okay. See, I'm not even sure because I, I could care less anymore. I'm just like, I'm so done with that. All that wokeness and all that junk. They ruined it for me. I don't care anymore. But there's so many people that are that they want to get through church really quickly. I hope I hope that guy doesn't talk too much today because I want to get you know I got my whole plan, I got everything. They're going to go do their real worship, and there's billions of people that are doing this. That's their God. That's who they worship. That's what they worship. And they're more interested in that than saying I, I want to worship God. I want to know more about God. God, I want to know you. I want to know you the best that I can. And it ain't very much, but as much as I can, I want to know you. And that's what he was saying. I'm going to send my spirit, my servant. My spirit's going to rest upon him. He's going to open the blind eyes. There's also places where in the New Testament, I don't have time to do that this week, and I'm not going to try to make it into another sermon next week. But there's also a place where Jesus talks about the blindness of those who hear. He says, you're, you're blind. You can't see what I'm talking about. You can't hear because you're not of me. You're not mine. You don't belong to me. The Father hasn't given you to me. Don't be that blind person. Hear what Jesus has to say. He says, come to me. Come as you are. Don't try to change stuff. Don't try to make yourself better. Don't try to, you know, get your, all your stuff in order and all that stuff. He says, no, 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 come to me. And last week I read that account and it's just an amazing account of the woman who was a sinner and who came. She found out Jesus was in the house and she just couldn't help herself. And she came and she poured that oil on his feet wiped his feet with her tears and the response of Jesus was amazing your sins are forgiven well only God can forgive sins I won't share my glory with anyone else Jesus is claiming that glory because it belongs to him rightfully and we should worship him all the more for it he's worthy He's worthy. If you've never received him, receive him now. You might say, well, how do I receive him? Well, you just thank him as if he's really there. You go by faith. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I'm a sinner and I need you. That's it. Believe in him. Trust in him. He'll do all the rest. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If you're carrying your burden, you can have it.
taken off of you. But you have to trust in Jesus. That's, what it all, that's where it all boils down to. There's so many other things that I wanted to talk about, but with the time that it is, I want to close here and just, just repent and trust in Him if you haven't. And you'll find that that load is lifted. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're, all of a sudden everything's going to be just all right. It doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer consequences for doing wrong. It just means that you're going to be forgiven and you will know it. It just means that you will be redeemed and you'll know it. You'll be purchased. You'll be a bought person. Say, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm bought. I'm bought and paid for, paid for by the blood of the Lamb. I'm a blood-bought saint of God. You start getting real radical. But that's what he came for, to pay for that sin. And he paid for it all on the cross. It is finished to tell us die. Do you know him? Would you be forgiven? Would you be set free from the prison, from the dungeon of sin, of the utterly perfect law of God? Because that's what keeps us bound. Then repent and trust in Him. Take Him at His words that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to be the propitiation on your behalf, to pay for your sin, to make things right between you and Him. That you might be set free from the weight of your burden, of your sin. Trust in Jesus. Receive Him today. And it's just by faith. Trust in Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we thank You. We thank You for Your awesome words that You speak. They're truth. And that truth confronts us with the truth that there's only one holy God. There's only one who is holy, and that's You. There's only one who is good, and that's You our God and our King, our Creator and Sustainer, the one who gives life and who gives breath and who gives spirit to those who walk around on the surface of the earth. We acknowledge you as Creator and Sustainer and Provider. We thank you, Lord, for the provision of the ransom that you paid that we might be set free. We thank you for the freedom and the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord, the freedom to say no to sin, the freedom and the power over the grave and over death. And we can proclaim, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your sting? Thank you, Lord, for all of these things and more. Lord, be glorified, be exalted in saving those whom you will, for you know those who are yours. We thank you, we praise you, we bless you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.